0: Luke chapter 12, from verse 41 down to verse 48, but by way of context, let me begin reading from verse 35. This is what God's Word says. Jesus says, Stay dressed for action, and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 41 Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and he begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we believe that the Bible is your very living word. And that the words which we have just read are not the words of mere men only. But that they have been inspired by your spirit. And so we ask now this morning, as we have opened it, that you would speak, O Lord, and that you would shape us and fashion us in your likeness, that you would teach us what you want us to know, and that you would make us what you want us to become. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. As we thoroughly discussed over the last several weeks, the Bible presents the life of a believer as looking forward to a world that is yet to come. The Christian's mind is to be set on the things of heaven above, not of earth below. And we're called to live for the promises of future glory in eternity, rather than living for the temporary pleasures of present life on earth. But sometimes as we concentrate on all this biblical emphasis on on living for eternity and in the coming life after this one, we can find ourselves wondering, well, then, what about this life? I mean, is there any meaning or significance to it? Is there no purpose for this present life on earth as a Christian other than to just avoid all the snares of its temptations and otherwise just kind of stare into the sky and wait for when the Lord will return? That is to say... Does the call to be eternally minded mean that I must be absent-minded in the present as though this life on earth no longer has any relevance or importance? And the answer is not at all. To the contrary, the believer who is the most eternally minded has and enjoys the richest sense of true purpose and meaning in this present life on earth. Because he understands this present life to have a preparatory function for what awaits. It's, it's a testing ground for eternity and all the things that are there waiting for us. You see, we began last week from verse 35 to 40 as Jesus urged his disciples to be always ready for the day of his return. And so much of his, his instruction there was geared toward getting our eyes to look ahead at the eternity that is at hand beginning in verse 41 jesus moves on to give another parable another illustration that focuses on what our present lives are to look like in light of the eternal reality that is imminent and the image that he impresses on our minds is that of a faithful and wise manager as he says in verse 42 now in our context of our modern industrial society we often associate the term manager with with the one that's in charge many of you working folks answer to your manager who is your boss hopefully you have a nice one but i know that's not always the case but here in this analogy jesus is not talking about himself when using the term manager he's the master the one who is in charge but he appoints managers over his household affairs which means we as believers are the managers here in this parable it's not that we are the boss but that we are those to whom our master has entrusted the things which belong ultimately to him i mean it's like the job of a property manager you don't own the property it's not your house but the homeowner has entrusted to you his house for his purposes and likewise, that's what it means for us to be managers. We are stewards. We are custodians. And that's what this present life is. It is a stewardship. And we need to learn to see ourselves as stewards, namely that everything is the Lord's. Psalm 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to Him, even life is itself our very own lives belong to him we're not the ultimate owners and if that's the case well why has god given those things to us why has god given us life it's that with these things it's that with our lives we might be found as faithful stewards that we'll be found as faithful Having been entrusted with the temporary things, so that we might be eventually entrusted with even more glorious, eternal things in the life to come. And so, in the meantime, the question comes down to our basic mindset and framework of life. Do we see ourselves as God sees us, as custodians of His belongings and servants of His will? And this is true of every believer. Notice Peter's question in verse 41. Jesus had been telling his disciples just earlier of the imminence of his return and had just finished urging them to be ready at all times for the Son of Man is coming at an hour they don't expect, and that will be the day that they will stand before the Master and give an account of their life, as it were. And it's then that Peter asks in in, in verse 41, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now what Peter probably meant was, are you talking about just us? Are you talking to just us, your disciples here in the first century, as we're listening to you say these words? Are we, Peter, James, John, or the other apostles, the specific servants that you have in mind? Or is this applicable to everybody? Other believers too? And interestingly, Jesus, Jesus doesn't answer the question directly, but he instead proceeds to give this new parable the content of which answers the question namely that everything jesus has been talking about applies to every believer and it's helpful to note that in mark chapter 13 verse 37 as jesus gives a similar teaching on a different occasion there he tells them plainly what i say to you i say to all stay awake be alert be ready and so the important point here is that every christian Every disciple of all generations, ages, nations, everything, we're all his servants, which is the point of this parable as Jesus essentially categorizes everyone into one of two categories, a faithful steward or an unfaithful steward. You see, the question is not whether you are a steward of the things of God, but what kind of a steward you are because what you have your life as is all of your possessions all of your belongings your whole family everything your life has been purposefully given to you exactly the way it is by God and with it the question is are you a good steward or are you a bad steward are we faithful managers who live to carry out his will or are we unfaithful to the owner, and we use what's been entrusted to us to serve ourselves and place them into our own pockets, as it were. Now, what does it mean then to be a faithful steward? What does that look like? Well, notice the way that Jesus describes faithful stewardship in verse 42. Who then is the faithful and wise manager, that is steward, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time the one who is faithful is portrayed as feeding other members of god's household now the reason why jesus described it that way was because he was specifically tailoring his instruction to the disciples to whom he was directly speaking peter james john others because they had been appointed as his apostles and as such They were called to be the foundational leaders of his church. They were the first generation of gospel ministers. And we see how the New Testament often describes the task of ministers as feeding God's sheep. Feeding them with the word of God, which is our food. And training them in truth and righteousness thereby. and Isn't this why Jesus said to uh, Peter in John chapter 21, as he went to restore Peter to the ministry, he said, Peter feed my sheep and so in an immediate sense this portrait of faithful stewardship is for them described in terms of faithfully ministering the word shepherding the flock in truth and love as opposed to abusing their position of authority and harming god's people as verse 45 shows but again as we've seen by the question peter asks This parable is applicable not only to pastors, elders, ministers, but to all believers. Which is why, when you read through the New Testament, you'll notice that while the New Testament recognizes the specific calling of elders and pastors as God's ministers and stewards of the gospel, at the same time, Scripture also describes all believers as ministers. Why? Why? Because we all, as his church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, as First Peter 2.9 says. Just as Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests to God, not just the Levites within Israel, although they did have that specific task of priestly ministry, but all Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests. And so in the same way, the whole church and all of its members are servants of God in different ways with different gifts, with different lives. And what's really important here to understand is this, that God has called everyone to not live for themselves, to not be self-serving people. But he has called us all to the ministry of servanthood. And this is just what it means to be a Christian, that Jesus is your master and that you are his servant. And so here in this parable, we, we have to see the broad principle That in a sense, we've all been called to this life of giving food and rendering service as opposed to stuffing ourselves. That's the spirit and sense of these words. Because this is the life of a faithful steward, not taking what is God's and funneling it all toward yourself as though it ultimately belongs to you. No, the wise and faithful manager is the one who understands that he owns nothing. Everything that he currently has everything that he is has been entrusted to him by the generous and gracious God. And he seeks to discover each day, each year, how the things that God has entrusted to him can be used and maximized to further bring in glory. You see, first things first, faithful stewardship begins with embracing this real mindset of a steward. It is rooted in how you think of yourself how you see yourself how you see your life i mean really do you do you believe christian do you really believe that your life is then ultimately yours that your life on earth has in effect been loaned to you by god that's what we saw earlier in the parable of the rich fool, in verse 20, that, that your life will be required of you. These are financial terms. They will be demanded back. And as, has it crossed your mind what kind of an account you will give to God at the end of that loan, as it were, as to what you did with what he gave you? Did you waste it? Did you spend your life just kind of mindlessly doing whatever you thought was right? Did you spend your whole life just kind of feeding your flesh with no real relationship with God, with no real thought of what He wanted you to do with it? I mean, how would you feel if uh, you hired a wealth manager for your entire, all of your assets, your entire family estate, and you gave him access to your bank account and all the other assets in your possession, and about a year later you check in and it turns out the man spent it all, not even on investing things, but on fine wine, exorbitant wine. And he at it all. He didn't even leave any for you. You can't even get it back. You can't even sell it and recuperate some of it. It's all gone like the wind. And this wicked manager presumed to think that the precious treasure that he had in his hands was his to squander for his foolish carnal desires. In the same way, your life, is precious and invaluable and it belongs to your maker and he has called you to serve him with everything that he has entrusted to you to know him and to make him known to serve his people to partake in the ministry and mission of his church and to find our identity and purpose in being a piece of the larger tapestry of his kingdom agenda not our little kingdom on earth but his kingdom as as we live in the continual unfolding of redemptive history as we speak and now you might ask well how exactly does god want me to serve him with my life what what specifically can you tell me what specifically does he want me to do in this life i don't know it's not my job to tell you i can barely figure out my own life I mean, we're all so different, right? Every one of us here, we're, we're uniquely wired, uniquely gifted, uniquely entrusted. There's no blanket formula. But that's what makes the Christian life so exciting and so adventurous. I mean, it's the thrill of, of discerning His will as we pray earnestly each day, asking Him to reveal His will to us. And that this should occupy our daily prayer lives. And when we pray like that, we have the joy of seeing God answer and the joy of newly discovering His plans for us, the plans that He had already ordained before we were even born. Look, I I had no idea I'd be in San Ramon pastoring a church. I had no idea I'd be a pastor. I had no idea I'd be in America like, I wasn't even born here. I just got plopped off here. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to figure out how to communicate with these people. Everyone's saying hi, so I guess I'll just copy them. Hi, hi. And next thing I know, I'm here standing before people talking in this, in this language that I eventually learned. I, I didn't plan any of this. But I know without a doubt that I'm here because God heard the prayers of this young high school boy whose eyes had been opened to the glory of the gospel, the truth of Christ. And this young high school boy said, Lord, whatever you want, I just, I just want to know you and to make you known. I didn't know that this is his plan. Maybe if I had known, I wouldn't have asked that. <laughs> but you see the joy of living in Christ is seeing his hand Providentially guiding us according to his will. And it's in Christ alone that there is life, a a true life lived under God's loving authority. And that's when we experience true direction, purpose, and movement. And apart from him, life is just kind of aimless. Ironically, the false promise of living for yourself only leads people to a life of wandering still searching for meaning trying this trying that going after the next venture and so church it, it's our joy it's our blessing to be reminded that everything belongs to god we own nothing not even ourselves because we have died to ourselves in christ and, and, the, and the question is do you believe this do you acknowledge that your life and everything in it is the lord's your wealth has been stewarded to you by God? How are you using it? I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty details of how much you should give, how much you should spend for yourself. You should, you should feed yourself, okay? It's fine to enjoy the blessings of life. But the, the, the fine details, that's between you and God. But it's really the issue of the mindset and the attitude. Do you look at your wealth as existing ultimately for the purpose of giving you a sense of power and security and self-sufficiency? Or do you see it primarily as one of many means that you realize, ah, it can be used to serve God and His church? And for those of you whom God has blessed with much wealth, how have you been managing God's money? That's the way we all have to think about it your your skills, your talents. Why has God given you certain passions and giftings? Is it to glorify yourself? Or is it to use it to serve the body of Christ and to build others up? Which is the whole purpose of the spiritual gifts? In 1 Corinthians 12:14, it drives me nuts when people take it out of context and use it to justify self-serving uh aberrations of uh the charismatic movement when the whole point is Paul's rebuking the people, saying, no, 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 that's not what spiritual gifts are for. It's not for edifying yourself. It's for edifying others. It's for edifying the church. Here's a big one for the parents. What about your children? Do you believe that your children are not ultimately yours? They're not yours to keep forever For your own enjoyment. That's what I have to tell myself each day. My son is not mine. He doesn't exist ultimately for me. To make me happy. To be the source of my joy. Now don't get me wrong. I am unimaginably happy with him. I, I, I delight in him. Like I can't even explain. I love spending time with him. I love making him laugh. I mean, these days, my goodness, I do one funny thing and he asks me to repeat it 15 times. And by the grace of God, I make it to 15 times. I love the happiness and the joy of being a father and having a family, of marriage, of everything. I love having my son, but that's not his purpose for existence. And if I raise him in any way, that even remotely suggests to him that his purpose and obligation in life is chiefly to bring happiness to mom and dad because they don't know how to find happiness apart from kids, then I will have robbed God of his rightful glory and I will have robbed my son of the true joy and meaning of a life that God has given him. Because the reason he lives, the reason any of us have been given life and have any breath still left in us is that with this life, we might come to know God, that we might see His worth and we might be satisfied in Him, live for Him, glorify Him and find our highest happiness in being His servant and child. God has entrusted children to us as parents that we might raise them up in such a way that, 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 that places them deeper into God's hands over the years and increasingly out of our hands. But you see, the question is always, how are you stewarding all that God has given to you? Are they ultimately being used as channels of self-gratification? Or are they being used as a means to bring all attention and focus to God, who alone is the supreme Satisfaction of the soul. I mean, this is spiritual maturation in a nutshell. It it is growing and increasing awareness that you are not your own, that you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. And how you live this present life echoes into eternity. Notice carefully how Jesus speaks in verse 43 Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing that is living this present life in this way when he comes, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now that's kind of strange. Isn't that what Jesus already did? Set him over all the things that he has given to us? But he is going to do that again when he returns. Which means that the stewardship of this present life is but a preview and a testing ground of the stewardship that awaits us in eternal life. You know, I think we often have this underlying misconception that eternity, heaven, will be this very long, idle existence as if we just have to sit in an endless church service and sing hymns for infinity and beyond. It might be marginally better because you won't have to listen to me anymore, but... That's probably our assumption. That it's just this kind of mere existence and really nothing more to it. But do you realize that eternity at heaven will be the most exciting never-ending adventure that you couldn't possibly fathom with your wildest imagination? Because we will be given work to do. Not the toil of the kind of work marred by this fallen world as we have to toil with the the sweat of our face the the arduous burden that that, that it often is but a work that is pure and grand and thrilling that is exciting in fact this is how God created the world to be in the first place turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 I think there's something very important about God's a work of creation that we often miss. Now, keep in mind, we're turning to Genesis chapter 1, okay? This is before the fall, before sin entered the world in chapter 3, okay? We're in Genesis chapter 1, and when God created mankind, he commenced the life of humanity with a very distinct commissioned purpose. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, This is his commission. Be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so have children. We already know that. And fill the earth. And here it is. And subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know what that means? When God created man, he created mankind to reign with him over the created world we were created for a purpose for work. In Genesis 2:15, it's very clear that God gave Adam and Eve the work of managing the garden. God stewarded his kingdom from the get-go to mankind. This was always his original intention and design. Why? Why would God do that? To share with us something of his essence. He is the almighty ruler and king but this is how much god intimately loved humanity whom he created that he created us to give us the experience of reigning with him as his vice regents as it were he entrusted the garden of his own kingdom to mankind adam and eve he gave them the privilege of the most glorious stewardship but what did mankind do with that unimaginably generous privilege. We used it to rebel against God. Establish our own kingdom. And establish our own selves as autonomous rulers. That's the heinousness of sin, you see. That's why we all deserve to be cast out of his kingdom forever. Punished for our wickedness. But isn't this what makes the gospel so amazing that God sent his son to pay for the punishment of our sins on the cross? And not only that, if that's not amazing grace enough, Jesus came to restore that original purpose and destiny for us to be stewards of all of God's kingdom. Isn't this why we see Jesus saying things like earlier in verse 32 of Luke chapter 12? He said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. And as Jesus announces in Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him, not just to be within the walls of my kingdom, but I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Does God need us for any of this? Not at all. Can God reign over his own created universe without any contribution from us? Absolutely. Actually, all we do is probably slow him down. But this is God's love for his own people. How intimately he desires to share his own glory, his own self as the Almighty King. You see, being God's servants and stewards It's not like serving some earthly boss or master. But it's the most wonderful thing. It's the most honored privilege, the thrill of our hearts, as he gives us his own kingdom to inherit, to manage, because we are his very own children, heirs of the high king of heaven. And so what's the point? The point is that the stewardship of present life on earth is a preparation a training ground for eternity and and for the unimaginably glorious plans and purpose that God has for each of His children? Christian, have you considered that this life, as you live it, as you know it, this life, your life on earth, that it is one big test? Not a test of whether or not you enter into heaven. That's by faith in Christ alone. But as those who have already entered into God's kingdom by faith, this one life on earth is a test of what kind of stewards we are. And with that, what God plans to entrust to us in eternity. God has assigned each and every one of us uniquely with our particular background. The spouse He has given to us, the children He has given to us, the career path, the wealth, the the hardships, the pains, everything to test our faith in preparation for what is to come for the stewardship that awaits. Now, some of you, God has entrusted to you, he has entrusted great pains and sorrows. And by the grace of God, rather than cursing him, rather than being angry with him and walking away from him, you have remained faithful to Him, to still pursue Him, to still trust Him, to still worship Him through all the tears as you bear the scars that are still tender to the touch, wounds that still bleed from time to time. And God sees that you have not wasted your suffering, but you've been clinging to Him by faith and through it all, your life testifies to the glory of Christ, His sufficiency, how he is worth living for no matter what, how Jesus is enough. And as you have been proving yourself as a faithful steward of even the heavy burdens of sorrow that God has ordained for you to bear, I can't imagine what kind of massive things of his kingdom he is preparing to entrust to you to manage in eternity how excited he must be to set you over all of his possessions. And if these are the things that await us, if this is what this present life is for, how foolish it would be to waste our lives on earth as unfaithful stewards and just consume it all for ourselves as Jesus warns the unfaithful in verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Jesus portrays the profile of an unfaithful steward with two main characteristics. First is a worldliness and a carnal-mindedness. The wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, meaning that he thinks that life on earth is permanent, that it will never end, and the day of the Lord will never come. And why does he think this? Because he loves this world too much. He lives only for the temporal things of this world and has no thought nor desire for the things of eternity. And the second characteristic here is that the unfaithful steward is marked by disobedience and rebellion because the unfaithful steward beats people and lives as a drunkard. Now, at face value, this is very simple and obvious. Please don't beat people. Don't get drunk. But as always, we need to see the principle that the specifics convey, which is that this particular servant, if you'll notice, does the polar opposite of what was commanded of him. The master set the servant over his household to give them their portion of food, but instead of giving to them, he beats them. And instead of feeding them, he feeds himself. See, the issue is one of rebellion to the will of God. And this is especially poignant when we consider that such a person in the context of this parable actually bears the name of a servant of Jesus, a steward. He calls himself a servant of God. He says that Jesus is his master, but doesn't live like it at all. In short, this is describing the nominal Christian, one who claims to be a Christian, but whose life looks nothing Like the sword. And what does Jesus say will happen? That the master of that servant will come unexpectedly and cut him in two, that is to run a sword through him, the sword of his judgment as we see in Revelation 19, that he will judge that kind of a servant and put him, assign him with the lot of the unfaithful. Literally it says, with the unbelieving. In other words, all who claim to be the Lord's servants all who profess Christ as Savior and Lord, but live to the contrary, will be lumped with all the unbelievers who explicitly reject Christ. Why? Because in the end, there is no difference. As Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not go to church? Did I not give offering? Did I not do all these wonderful things? But I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Why? because you never knew me though you claim to be my servant but your heart never left the kingdom of this world the kingdom of darkness you're, you're still of the world you love it you want to stay forever you kept calling me Lord, Lord but you never did what I told you to do you resisted my commands you read my word you even studied the Bible at times but you never did what it said to do And so they will suffer the same fate as those who despise and reject Jesus as Lord. And actually, they will suffer an even worse fate. Verse 47. A servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him, to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. As we've seen already before in Luke chapter 10, and so again here, Jesus reminds us of the same spiritual law. That is, the greater the spiritual privilege, the greater the responsibility. And so nominal, casual Christians who are in the pews of the church every Sunday will be punished even more severely than outright non-Christians because they knew the truth. They were instructed in it, but they still refused. It is a greater blasphemy, a greater offense to be face-to-face with the truth and yet to say, even so, sin is better. I am still a better master for myself than Jesus is for me. Living for my own will is still to be preferred than living for you, Jesus, even after hearing about what a wonderful master you are. This is a weighty warning and call to self-examination. In church, we all know the will of God because we have His Word. We hear it preached every week. We're hearing it right now. But the only real question is are we going to submit to it? To whom much has been given, much will be required. And we who sit under the authority of God's word in the doors of his church, much, much, much has been graciously given to us. We we cannot plead ignorance. And thank God that we are not ignorant of his word. The truth that sanctifies us, the lamp that guides our feet, the power of god to save those who believe and bow the knee to christ who is king if you're here this morning and you have not bowed the knee to christ this is the plain and simple reality that we will all stand before him the great judge one day and give an account of our lives and as sinners apart from christ we have all wasted away our lives living as our own master Is the biggest lie of false promise. And we have nothing to show for the life that God has so graciously granted to us. As sinners, we are all by nature worthless, wicked stewards who have taken what belongs ultimately to Him and spent it on ourselves. And so we're lost in our ways and destined for eternal judgment. But God sent His Son to take on the judgment of sin, you see, by dying on the cross in the place of sinners who confess their sin and turn to Him by faith. And not only can you be forgiven of your sin and rebellion and receive the free gift of eternal life, but you can know Him now. That your life now can change and be put under His loving authority. And you can know the joy of living this life, the rest of your days, with the real purpose and direction in living for Him, the gracious Master, who gave Himself for sinners like you. You don't need to wander around any longer. Come to Him. Entrust yourself to Him. He will take you under His wings and He will teach you how to live as a faithful and happy and fulfilled steward in this new life lived by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for sinners like you and me. And church, I hope we are reminded through this all what a blessed master we serve, how benevolent God is that he makes us such privileged stewards of all that is his. You know, I love How God strengthens our faith and calls us to greater obedience not by scaring us into obedience but by giving us glimpses of the eternal reward that awaits. I mean, really, eternity will be so much more exciting than you and I have ever imagined. No eye has seen nor ear heard What God has prepared. What glorious things of His kingdom He is preparing to entrust to us to enjoy for His glory as we reign with Him. And so until that day, may the Lord continue to teach us to think rightly about our lives. And may we be those who say, Speak, O Lord, for Your servant is listening. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you truly for your word because it is light to our darkened hearts. It is food for our souls. It is the very shepherding staff of our Lord Jesus who rules and governs his church by his word. And we ask that you would help us to embrace it, to surrender to it, and to see it as the lovely instructions of a loving father that it really is. And father, we thank you for giving us the sacraments of the Lord's supper. That by it, we are reminded of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that is sufficient for us always. And even so, as we take it, we proclaim his return and his kingdom. And it not only feeds us and strengthens us for the present, but it also serves to set our eyes ahead. And so we ask that you would take this ordinary bread and the cup and set it apart for the holy purpose of feeding our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.